like playing games online, you've undoubtedly had a good time or two ruined by cheaters. Now a U.S. District Court judge has made it more difficult to hold them accountable. Good morning. Good Monday morning to you. Is it Monday already? I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for May 2nd, 2022. Welcome to May. If you prefer to consume the show the way it's intended in a podcast feed so you can listen on your phone as you get ready for work or on your commute, Head to patreon.com slash sifted and pledge at $4 or more per month. It's free on our YouTube channel for everyone else, but folks, you're going to watch an ad or two. You can find our four days delayed feed of our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. Please give us a review if you can. So Bungie has faced a setback in its legal bid to punish Destiny 2 cheaters. A court has dismissed much of Bungie's legal action against cheat site Aim Junkies. Bungie alleged the cheat maker participated in copyright and trademark infringement, breach of contract, tortious interference, and unjust enrichment. Aim Junkies had claimed its cheating software was its own work and not a copy of Bungie's code. According to the U.S. District Court judge, notably, Bungie has not pleaded any facts explaining how the cheat software constitutes an unauthorized copy of any of the copyrighted works identified in the complaint. Bungie's complaint must contain more than a formulaic recitation of the elements of a cause of action. The Destiny developer's other claims that continued should also be kept out of court per clauses in Bungie's own user license agreement. However, the trademark infringement claims are still going forward. The judges ruled that the group, which had advertised its wares using the phrase Destiny 2 hacks, are still liable for breach of trademark this avenue can still go ahead in court and may still involve financial penalties. Well, that's a sliver of hope, a ray of sunshine in an otherwise cloudy sky. This sucks. I have dealt with cheaters myself extensively for the last several years. It never really used to be a problem. I have been playing online shooters forever. I don't even know what year I should set at when I started playing online games. I was a huge Star Siege Tribes player back in the late 90s on my Voodoo 2 card. And I've been hooked on online shooters ever since. And it really hasn't been a problem for me cheating. I never played a lot of Counter-Strike. And I know that's where a lot of cheating occurred in the early days. I was not a huge player of that. So I kind of skirted around it. And I think another part of it too is that typically I've been playing shooters on consoles and generally it's a little more difficult to cheat on consoles than it is on PC. And so I think that shielded me from it a little bit. But over the last four years, even on consoles, it has become terrible. I mean, just blatant and obvious. There are so many cheat hacks that people can use. There are cheat devices that you plug into USB ports that basically will set you up for auto-aim. It's like an aimbot, even on consoles. Again, these were things that typically were a part of the PC gaming environment, and now they've become a part of consoles, and now they're affecting me. Cheaters need to be stopped by any means necessary, and as Bungie is finding out, it's tough to find laws that they technically break and then hold them accountable. 
Cheaters are like the very best online trolls who understand the terms of service better than anyone and exhibit behavior that skirts around them and makes them hard to ban with any semblance of integrity. I've dealt with this on Sifted. One of our big mantras at Sifted was, we're going to be a community of adult players, and we're going to have heavy moderation, and we're going to make sure that we keep all the trolls out. But anytime you run an online community, you learn very quickly that there are some people who are literally professional trolls. They go and they read your terms of service, and they know exactly what they can get away with and what they can't get away with. And they're basically counting on you having some form of integrity. I had this very same problem many times on Sifted, where people were like, you know what? Shane's an honest guy, and so he's going to follow his terms of service on Sifted, and he's not going to ban me unless I break those terms of service. And I did. They were right. In my mind, I was like, I put these terms of service out there, and if I screwed up and didn't close enough loopholes, that's my fault, not theirs. And I did not ban people. In hindsight, I probably should have banned, banned much quicker. And eventually, I will say this, they do slip up, and eventually they do get banned. But in that amount of time, how much damage have they done? How many good people have they run off from your website? And I know for a fact that trolls have run people off from Sifted, despite my best efforts and despite having heavy moderation. So stopping video game cheating is already really hard from a technical perspective. Most of the needed files to implement proper anti-cheat mechanisms are on the player's PCs, and it's hard for developers to constantly monitor the player's files. Since cheats run in uncontrolled environments, it becomes difficult for developers to keep up with the best cheats. It's like playing whack-a-mole, basically. Meanwhile, the rest of us, the non-cheaters, are begging them for DLC and expansion content, and we're complaining about bugs and other things while they're fighting off people ruining their game at the same time. It's a lot to juggle. And now it's become harder to make financial penalties a real deterrent. I mean, if this judge is going to allow aim junkies to slide by on technicalities, there's no deterrent there. They're just going to keep selling their wares, people are going to keep buying them, and they're going to keep cheating. It's starting to get out of control. I mean, personally, I stopped playing Call of Duty Vanguard due to cheating. I haven't played it since January because it's terrible. Now Activision is giving away free weeks to players because the game is bleeding its population. Cheaters are ruining the player experience and it's hurting the game financially. And I'm not asking a judge to find fault if he or she can't within the current confines of the law. But if that's the case, then the laws need to be changed. And the sad part is that so many people are doing it, meaning cheating. Several high-profile streamers have been caught recently using wallhack cheats and aim bots. Think about that. These are people who are streaming in front of other people, and those videos are being archived. They were so brazen. They're just like, oh, I'll get away with it. Even esports athletes have been caught using them in live competition. Again, despite how easy it would be to get caught when everything you do is recorded on video. People simply don't care and think the benefit outweighs the potential cost. And based on this judge's ruling, it's hard to disagree. There is a common misconception that developers sometimes don't invest much into anti-cheat technology because it helps get more game sales. 
All they have to do is ban an account, and then people who are really dedicated to cheating will go and buy a new copy of the game. And therefore, cheating is actually generating revenue for that developer or for that publisher. But that is really short-sighted and honestly, completely wrong. While it is true that a banned player might go buy another copy to keep playing, it's the other people that that player are affecting. Players leave in droves if cheating becomes a rampant problem, as evidenced by me leaving a game early that I usually play for the entire year until the new game is released. It's a real problem, and it's time the ESA and other lobbying organizations start taking it seriously and get some new laws passed. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your sis. Sony has confirmed that it's blocked the ability to purchase a year's subscription to PlayStation Plus until its new three-tiered service launches later this month. Sony had announced a continuation system last week where players would be rewarded with extra months of the new premium tier if they were subscribing to both PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now. But now it appears that Sony has realized that players can abuse its generosity of course, the bad news is that if your subscription runs out and you're just trying to honestly renew it without any gaps, you're going to have to purchase an overpriced monthly plan to get you through the next few weeks. Sony's also blocked redeeming prepaid subscription cards for either service if you're currently subscribed. It doesn't seem like Sony thought this whole thing through and it's scrambling. Xbox's free games for gold for May 2022 have been revealed. This month's Xbox One games are Yoku's Island Express and The Inner World, The Last Wind Monk, while the two free Xbox 360 games are Hydro Thunder Hurricane and Viva Pinata Party Animals. Of the four, Yoku's Island Express is easily the one to make sure you claim. It's a 2D platformer that plays like a pinball machine. There's no other game quite like it, and it's well worth the time it takes to snag it from the Microsoft Store. In a real shocker, to me at least, it was announced this weekend that Psychonauts 2 is Double Fine's highest rated and best selling game to date. This is shocking news because it hardly made a blip in the sales charts in any territory and was given away for free on Game Pass. We're not sure if this is a sign that Game Pass people are actually buying packaged games, the game just sold that well, or Double Fine has never really had a major hit before. But with games like Brutal Legend, and Grim Fandango in the stable, you'd think the bar would be fairly high. Regardless, it's great to see an amazing game get rewarded. We're really starting to wonder if Sonic's new 3D game, Sonic Frontiers, is going to be released this year as originally scheduled. To this point, we've only seen one trailer that had limited, if any, actual gameplay. It's also exceedingly short, though it does seem to hint that it will take place in a much more open environment. Well, according to Sega, Sonic Frontiers is still set to come out this holiday season. Sega of America's social media manager, Katie Trisnowski, stated, See, a lot of people asking about Sonic Frontiers. We don't have news on Frontiers today, but don't worry soon. It's still set to come out this holiday, so we'll have news for you this year. Don't worry. Regardless of what Katie says, we're starting to worry. While we wonder what the heck is going on with Forza Motorsport for Xbox Series consoles, it appears that it's no longer exclusive to Microsoft's new machines. Leaked images suggest that it will be released for Xbox One after all. Some blame multi-platform releases for holding back overall development, and after playing Halo Infinite, it's hard to argue against that idea. Forza Motorsport was shown when Xbox Series consoles were unveiled, and since then we've heard nothing. 
Even these leaked screenshots were snapped way back in July of 2021. We're a long overdue for an update. In related news, the original Forza Motorsport appeared on the Xbox Store briefly yesterday, six years after being delisted. No clue what's going on there. According to former Call of Duty developer Glenn Schofield, we should be learning more about his new game, The Callisto Protocol, very soon. He stated that he's been going through concept art in preparation for the re-reveal of this spiritual successor to Dead Space. It's also supposed to be one of the first narrative-driven games set in the PUBG universe, so there's a lot riding on it. Based on timing, we wouldn't be surprised if it's one of the crown jewels at Jeff Keighley's upcoming Summer Games Fest. We're definitely excited to check it out. If you're wondering if Call of Duty Warzone is still a thing, wonder no more. Virgin Media announced this weekend that Warzone's Season 3 update is responsible for the biggest gaming traffic spike on record. Warzone Season 3 released on Tuesday, resulting in Virgin Media's busiest day of the year so far and its second busiest day of all time. The average customer for the UK internet service provider consumed 12 gigabytes of data in the eight hours following the new season's launch. Last year, the launch of Warzone Season 2 drove what was at the time its busiest day on record, with the average Virgin user downloading 21 gigs of data over the course of 24 hours. Free-to-play Battle Royale still reigns supreme. Nintendo Switch Sports is the number one selling box game in the UK for the week. It sold a lot better than similar casual games like Mario Party Superstars and Ring Fit Adventure at launch, but it's third behind the original Wii Sports and its successor Wii Sports Resort. In fact, it sold less than half of what Wii Sports Resort sold in its opening week. And to be fair, these types of active games tend to have long tails, so I wouldn't be surprised if it floats around the charts for many weeks to come. LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga fell to second. Meanwhile, more PS5 consoles arrived in the territory, which means Gran Turismo 7 and Horizon Forbidden West have jumped back into the top 10. GT7 took third, while Horizon landed at the fourth slot. Kirby and the Forgotten Land also returned to the top 10 at ninth for the week. If you're wondering what the heck is going on with Final Fantasy 16, we kind of have an answer. The last update we received was in October of last year, when it was shared that the game was nearing completion, but then it wasn't shown at Tokyo Game Show. Now, in an interview with UT Magazine, its producer, Naoki Yoshida, has shared that it's in the final stretch of development. He also said the game aims to unify the story and gameplay experience and recapture adults who have drifted away from the series over the years. The game still appears to be a PS5 exclusive, and Square Enix said in December we'll get a real update on it this spring. So not long to wait. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's boss fight, where I discuss topics that may or may not be related to video games. Generally, I appreciate innovation in just about anything. Anyone who can find a better, easier, or brand new way to do something we've been doing for a long time is a genius in my book. I like geniuses. I admire geniuses. This weekend, I was going down the YouTube rabbit hole, and I stumbled across a video of Nintendo 
and Shigeru Miyamoto showing off the Nintendo 64 on Japanese TV direct from Space World 1995. It was like peeking into a different world, yet one that was remarkably and comfortably the same. It's truly remarkable how much things have changed, but also how they've really stayed the same. But what really struck me about this video, other than the fact that it was just <laughs> mind-blowing to see a young Miyamoto so excited about video game products at the time, it was what Nintendo focused on when it was presenting the Nintendo 64 and how the people who honestly shepherded 3D gaming into the mainstream looked at what 3D gaming was. And it just, I think the perspective that Nintendo had on its first 3D console still shines through today. First of all, Miyamoto is out on stage with several people. It's one of those Japanese shows where they're just it's zany and wacky and everybody's yelling and screaming. And he's kind of this calm in the middle of the storm. <laughs> he has this thing that he's been working on for years, probably at that point. And he knows everything about it and he knows how to demo it. And for the sake of TV, they give it to the hosts of the show to play. And they are just... A disaster. And you can watch Miyamoto scramble to try to take the controller out of the hands of these hosts because he fears they're ruining the product that he worked years and years on by doing a horrible job of demoing it. But anyway, part of the presentation is an interview with Miyamoto where they ask him questions. And one of the first things he says is, everybody looks at the Nintendo 64 and the first thing that they think about is the graphics, how the visuals look. But his focus and what he wanted to explain that day to the people watching was how powerful the CPU was. The 64-bit CPU. It's a Nintendo 64 after all. And instead of saying, look at how pretty our game looks, he even then is focusing on the things that the power can do to change the way games are played. For example, he points out that the CPU allows for four players to play at once. A USP of the Nintendo 64. It had four controller ports on the front. It was the first console to do so. It was an advantage of the Nintendo 64. So he pointed out how the CPU made that happen. Then he talks about how it also can affect AI and how AI could be used to make a ball roll realistically and accurately in a 3D environment, a.k.a. taking into account gravity and physics. And then he talks about how the CPU allows for 360-degree movement. Miyamoto wanted to talk about everything but the obvious, graphics. And again, what struck me as well is just how young he is. He is still this young Nintendo employee. And you can also see just how different Nintendo was in general back then. For example... It appears that there's production N64 hardware on the set, but the games are playing in these N64 ROMs, these N64 cartridges that are double the height of what would end up being production-run N64 carts, things that Nintendo would send to us to review games before they came out. But in today's modern environment, there is no way Nintendo would ever show hardware with ROMs plugged into. It's just not the way Nintendo does things anymore. It's not the way anyone does things anymore. Again, 
1995. And then when he talks about what it's like to play 3D games, because you got to realize this was all new. This is 95 on live TV in Japan. People have never seen 3D games being played like this before. And when he talks about how you play 3D games, he refers to playing them like you're controlling a puppet show. <laughs> Think about it, though. That's actually what you're doing. But it's just interesting, the perspective of his mind and how he looked at what playing a 3D game is. I've never looked at playing games from that angle, but that's exactly what we're doing. We're like puppet masters controlling a 3D puppet show. And then he talks about the differences in game development from the N64 to the 2D consoles, the NES and the Super Nintendo. And he says, because it's a free environment, if there is something behind a tree, we have to draw that as well. He also says, we used to design our levels on a piece of paper, and now we have to design them for this free-range environment. The odd part is that now there are technologies called occlusion culling, which actually eliminates the, the need to have to draw everything that's in the world. Basically, occlusion calling will keep the engine from drawing things that the player cannot see. But this was the beginning of 3D game development when they had no idea how games in the future were going to be designed or displayed in full 3D. He also shows the first footage of Mario Kart 64, and everyone in the crowd is astounded at the four players playing. He then moves on to talk about how the CPU can replicate gravity for the physics in Pilot Wing 64, and then watching him explain how the analog stick works for the very first time. Think about that. Before, you had a D-pad. Now there's a stick, and him explaining how the harder you push the stick, the faster Mario runs. You can just see the, the people on the set of the show are just like, what? Like You can't even process it because you've never had to process information like that before in your entire life. It is just fascinating watching this. He then moves on to explain after a kid asks, hey, what's that slot in the controller for? He explains how the memory card works. Again, something that had never really been a part of gaming before. He then refers to a controller with a memory pack like it's your own bowling ball, meaning that you can take it with you wherever you go, and it's like your own thing. It has your imprint on it. It's your identity as you travel with your controller with the memory pack in it. The perspective on almost everything is so different from how they're perceived now. But at the same time, if you watch the presentation, it's the same. The way that Nintendo debuted the Nintendo 64 on Japanese TV way back in 95 is no different from how the Nintendo Switch was debuted or the PlayStation 5 was debuted or the Xbox Series consoles were debuted. It's the same thing. Hey, here's the hardware. Do a close-up of the hardware. Hey, we're the people who are building the games. Tell us about the games. Here's some live B-roll. Here's some, here's some footage of us playing it live. Here's a little mini developer walkthrough explaining how Super Mario 64 works. 27 years later, we're still doing it the same way. And I will say this too. Watching this, TV production hasn't changed all that much. And that's on us. That's on people like me. Because we're still presenting things the way this was presented way back in 1995. Bigger picture. 
after watching this. And again, I just loved it. And I, I will curate this to Sifted today so you guys can all watch it with wonder just like I did. But what has really struck me is that back then, the industry was full of wonder and new ideas. I literally sat there and watched this and it was 10 minutes of just one new thing that we had never heard of or could even really fathom to that point after another. Hey, here's 3D graphics. Hey, here's this analog stick. Hey, here's a memory card that'll save your games and you could take it on the go and plug it into your controller. Just one thing after another. Here's four player split screen. Here's four players playing a game at the same time period at home. That had never happened before. And it was just one after another after another. But everything has changed now. Now it's all about small minutiae and nuance. Minuscule shifts in game design or rules to existing modes. The two biggest innovations from the last five years are games with DLC that keeps coming and a last man standing mode. Or maybe it's Xbox's accessibility controller. Regardless, compared to 1995, that's pretty pathetic. And look, I get it. It's the law of diminishing returns. Anytime someone creates something, it makes it harder to create something new in that same field. And for whatever reason, Nintendo would, with the N64, it is mind-boggling how it came up with so many standards that we're still experiencing and, in all honesty, judging today. How characters control in 3D is something Matt and I still talk about in every episode of Game Face. But otherwise, the industry has really slowed to a crawl on the innovation front. And I understand there's a different perspective. As I said, when I started talking about this, innovation is really important to me. But Matt, if you watch Game Face, he doesn't care that much about innovation. He says all the time he'd rather have something that's rote, but very well executed versus something that's innovative and maybe a little janky. I would lean more on the innovative side with the jank. And again, that's a matter of perspective. Your mileage will vary on that statement. But there's no denying that developers and hardware manufacturers have really, really become risk averse. We need Nintendo in the hardware market because without Nintendo, it's over. Without Nintendo, all we're going to get is just more powerful and more of the same. And the games aren't going to become innovative because the cost of development is going to keep going up. Developers and publishers are going to become more risk averse over time, not less. We need Nintendo's hardware. And if you look through all the time since 1995, where has all the innovation come from? It has come from Nintendo. Time and again. It doesn't give up. A lot of companies, after something like the Virtual Boy or the Wii U, they would give up this whole innovative streak that Nintendo has been on for, honestly, the last 27 to 30 years. But it hasn't. Nintendo's one attempt to capitulate and become part of the group was the GameCube. By its standards, a miserable failure. Barely sold 20 million consoles. And it did learn from that. It learned that being in the arms race is not a good idea for a company that's built its name and its brand on innovation. And since then, it has continued to innovate. Think back to all the seminal moments of hardware reveals in the games industry. And who was it on stage every single time? It was always Nintendo. With its handhelds, its 
DS with the clamshell design and two screens, whether it was a 3DS with 3D that you didn't need glasses to see, which still, I don't understand how that works. It's still like witchcraft to me. On to motion controls with the Wii, and then obviously the misstep with the Wii U, and then more innovation with this console handheld hybrid, the Switch. It's astounding. When you really look back and think about it, everyone else has been imitating, scared in the corner, afraid to take risks, while Nintendo is just like, whatever. And that's what really hit home for me watching this, is this grainy SD video of Nintendo doing 27 years ago what it's still doing today. So I just want to say major props to Nintendo. I hope it never changes. I know people say all the time, I just want a Nintendo console that's as powerful as the whatever the PlayStation is at the time or whatever the Xbox is at the time. And I think I've caught myself saying that once or twice throughout my career. But if I did, I, that's wrong. I was wrong. Nintendo is doing exactly what it should be doing. And I hope it keeps on doing it. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield. You can follow me on Twitter at Dinfire. And while you're at it, follow Sifted at Sifted Games. And then head over to patreon.com slash sifted and drop us a pledge. The show will be back tomorrow. But until then, make sure you seize today because there will never be another.